Welcome to the Just Baseball Show. It is February 1st, Tuesday. And Aram, now that it's February, we're not messing around anymore. You know, we're almost done with the NFL season. We had some great games of football, but we have a laundry list of things to attack. Obviously, NFL football was on Sunday. We haven't gotten a chance to talk about that. Shohei Otani is now the new cover athlete of MLB The Show 2022. And I got to give you my top 10 covers for MLB The Show We also got to talk about Keith Law dropped an interesting top 100 list. And then we're talking, what is it? Bounce back players. We went over all these guys, but they're, they're stars. And we just, we're kind of, we're buying low. We're selling high. How did you and Jack kind of do it? Because I watched you guys' episode. No, we, we we literally had a point in the podcast where we're like, how do we describe this? And it's like, I, I was like, okay, take a stock approach to it. If, if each of these guys, because we always joke about how we end up de- dehumanizing players when you talk <laughs> about them, it's impossible not to. If you're buying stock in a player, you know, like, are you going to buy low on these guys or are you just, you know, are you kind of just selling? Um, like, and, and so basically, do we think these guys are going to turn around uh, and have good years? Uh, from a fantasy perspective, you could take it from that or just from a general fan perspective. But these are all guys that would, I would say, objectively, their stock took a hit last year, Pete. Yes. Right? And, and these we're going to buy or sell whether they are going to improve their stock in 2022. Um, and it's a mixed bag. So I'm excited to get into that. There's an important disclaimer, though, about injuries, because we're not necessarily dealing with guys that were injured um, the entire 2021. We don't like to project health. And you actually kind of worded it perfectly in the last pod. So give the disclaimer for the people. Yeah, of course. Of course. You know, it's just so it's so difficult to be able to predict those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, if it's a player playing through a health issue, um, that's one thing. And that'll obviously make us more optimistic in them like a Christian Yelich. But he played the whole year. Uh, but we, we don't want to try to decide whether we think guys can bounce back next year. You can't see that. That's not we, we aren't doctors. Uh, and we can watch baseball and give our best opinion based on that. Uh, and we feel a little bit more confident on that side of things. So uh, we'll stick to that. And uh, that's where it's more fun anyway. So we're hoping for health, health for everybody. Uh, but most of these guys, it wasn't really injury related as much. So that's, that's not the really interesting part. And that was the good thing. And I remember when we even started this company, we were talking about what kind of content we want to talk about. And we always said we never really want to talk about guys who are injured. Like we never want to dive into that kind of realm because we don't know how they're going to come back from injury. We don't know the the delicacies of it. We don't know how, like we're just not those people to try and go in and do something like that. Projecting injuries is always the greatest too. I mean, like it, he throws like this, so his arm is going to blow out. I don't like him as much. Like, you don't know what his arm's going to do. Like, we have, it, it, that stuff's crazy. We have no idea what's going to happen. But what we do know is that in football this weekend, we don't really have to go over a ton because everybody watched the games. And if you didn't, you're probably not listening to this podcast for any NFL analysis. But what I thought was the craziest was that a guy 
and you probably saw this bet. This bet went viral. Yeah, was that $20 to win around $600,000 of predicting both of the scores exactly. Parlayed. Parlayed them, dude. 27-24 Bengals and 20-17 to Rams. My thinking was, and when I'm going over these bets, was that the only bet he placed? How many of those $20 parlays has a guy like that put down in his entire career to hit one that got 600,000. I wonder if he's put down so many parlays. Is he even even after that? I was going to say, I don't know if he put down like 40,000 parlays of that, but it is crazy. So was that corroborated like hundred percent real? Did they verify that? It looked real. And I didn't hear anyone come out and say that it wasn't. Well, I mean, I hope it's real. I'm always, I'm always rooting for the, yeah, uh, I just hope casinos. it's real. <laughs> I'm always rooting for the sports books to take a hit. Um, that's that's nuts, dude. I mean, to predict two scores and parlay them, it that's just the craziest thing I've ever seen. Uh, that's unbelievable. And not only that, I couldn't even predict both games. Like, who yeah. would have thought that the Bengals would have won, let alone predicting the exact score that the Bengals win by? That That's outrageous. Uh, I'm glad we're seeing Joey, Joey Burrow in there, though. I mean, I'm sure Roger Goodell in the NFL would rather see a Mahomes, uh, another Super Bowl. Obviously, Mahomes is a bigger name, but... I don't know, man. All of a sudden, Burrow is starting to make himself a very marketable and, you know, not face of the NFL, but one of the young faces soon of the NFL if he continues on this trajectory. And he's got the he's got the personality. I mean, there are two players to beat Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs in these, AFC, in these championship games. That's yeah. Tom Brady and that's Joe Burrow. And something that's very hard to predict, but sometimes there needs to be some reasoning behind your list. And sometimes you need to be able to explain to the people why you made your top 100 list the way that you did. And that's Keith Law, who came out with his top 100 prospects for 2022. And he came into some Twitter spats. People were after him for good reason. And as the prospect guy, what were some of your takeaways from Keith Law's top 100? Yeah, and this is something we'll definitely get deep into into the call up, but I'm glad we're like going to talk about it for a couple minutes here because there's one thing I always want to say is like prospect rankings are so subjective, right? I mean, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, there's a general understanding and there's things that, you know, I think are are indisputable. Uh, but like, you know, you and I talking about like, is J-Rod the number one prospect? Is Bobby Witt? Like, there's no wrong answer in some of these contexts. Yes. That said, this list is insane. Like it is the one of the craziest things I've ever seen. And I also would be much more, I think like hands off about it and wouldn't be that critical if he wasn't so mean to people on Twitter. And it's not people, it's not the fans that are like, you're an idiot. You're wrong. Like I get it. That gets annoying, but you just ignore those. It's the people that ask honest questions on it. Like, Hey, why did you leave Nick Waddle off? I don't think that he's as risky as this guy why are you explaining to me how to do my job? Blah, 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 blah. Like that's where it gets upsetting. So you're going to have a crazy list and then you're not going to explain it at all. That was nuts to me by far. The craziest thing on this list though, no Nick Lodolo at all. I know our Reds folks, our Reds faithful are going to hate that and already hate yeah, that. As no Max should. Meyer, my Marlins yeah, which people is ridiculous. are hating that too. Like it, The Max Meyer one's crazy to me too, because we know what Lodolo is as well. Max Meyer, you got drafted third overall. Leads double A and ERA, carves up in two starts in triple A, not a top 100 guy. Okay, that makes sense, I guess. And then Kevin Smith over yeah, your guy, Oswald that? Peraza. So that's what got me. 
Everyone yeah. was like all pissed about Lodolo. I'm like, there's a 25 year old Blue Jays shortstop prospect when they already have shortstops in their system. Is Kevin Smith going to be this guy over Oswald Peraza, who just objectively is a better player than Kevin Smith? I'm sorry. It, he's not even close. And, yeah. and like, I hope it works out for Kevin Smith. Like he, he He's had an interesting journey. He's not even a shortstop anymore. Like yeah. he does, he can't play short. He plays third and he plays like a little bit all over. Like he's, he's more of like a Kevin Biggio type from the right side at best. And like, I don't think he's even gonna be that good. So I was just, I was shocked to see that. I mean, I was absolutely shocked and I get it. You want to be different, go against the grain. That's cool. But like, then explain why, why are we have a 25 year old shortstop? Who's no longer a shortstop ahead of, a guy who can really pick it in Oswald Peraza had a breakout offensive season athlete and is like five years younger than him, like five full years. And see, these conversations are fun. Like which player is better than which? And, and, you know, the semantics of the thing, we just talked to Joe Poznanski about the top 100 players of all time. No list is perfect. And baseball fans can appreciate that. You can have specific questions. Hey, why was Lodolo left off the list? I know he might have shoulder issues, but do you really think that it's that big of a risk versus maybe a guy like DL Hall of the Orioles who has a lengthy injury history? I mean, all these comments have been said, but then what our problem is, is when Keith Law comes in and says, I, I know more about prospects than you. Like, don't fansplain me. All that kind of fansplain. stuff. Instead, I've never heard that. I've never heard that either. And, and, and the difference would be it actually takes, I think, if you're supposed to be the prospect guru, less time to actually answer that question yes. than to come up with what you think is some smart alecky response that will 100%. only go negatively. And that's why he has been deleting tweets, which is very interesting. <laughs> Deleting tweets. By the time this gets distributed, they'll probably be he'll have less tweets, uh, like on his Twitter number, like the total number of tweets. It, it, it's interesting, and you know, like this is something too. Like I know every time I put out a top prospect list, I'm subjecting myself to a little bit. When you put out your 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 betting picks, you're subjecting yourself to some criticism. Like it's gonna happen. Um, and I'm happy to explain it as long as people ask nicely or like you know are in, like asking honest questions. If they're mean, I'm gonna ignore it. It's not that art of a concept, Um, but yeah, that list is wild. I'll definitely break it down a little bit more on the call up uh, because there's some really funny things there, but I love how he got all of us. Like he got me with Max Meyer. He got you with Peraza. He got our Reds folks with Lodola. Like he got all all of us riled up this morning. Uh, And And we did 92. So Ryan Miller's pissed. Like everybody was mad this morning. Everybody. Do you think think it's possible that we have been quarreling with him on Twitter now for a while that he kind of saw the just baseball, maybe listens to the podcast and he's like, you know, I'm just going to stick it to these idiots because they think they know more than me. They they always talk about Nick Lodolo. I'll show them. I'll show them Nick Lodolo, all right. Well, one list that is perfect that I don't even think anybody can argue is my top 10 MLB the show covers <laughs> since the game came perfect. out. It's perfect. It's a perfect list. It, it should inspire zero debate. Just think of it as the all-out perfect list. But congrats to Shohei Otani on being announced as the cover athlete for MLB The Show 2022. It's a phenomenal cover. It's all red. You guys got to go get the game. But here we go, Arm. My top 10. 
coming in at number 10. Also, let's just go over some kind of not really honorable mentions. The Bryce Harper 2019 one is just a Photoshop picture of Bryce Harper. And like even his beard looks weird. They should have done the thing where, you know, he's he's his hair he's is growing back. it back yeah. in the main. I mean, that would have been way cooler. They're strapping. I, yeah, I'm in on that. Was there any cover that or any game in particular of MLB The Show that you loved or that you were not really a fan of? Um, I mean, I loved the Griffey one. I know you threw that yeah. one at two. Um, Griffey, I, I absolutely loved. Um, anything Miggy, I'm going to love. I mean, that was like my first my first baseball player, like love. You know, that was my first. That was the first baseball player that I truly just was like, oh, I my mean, gosh, this guy's awesome. He was pretty uh, good. Yeah, he was pretty good. And I get to watch him, you know, when he was skinny. <laughs> And it was like, yeah. he was like actually sick. Same with him. He was even good when he was fat. Yeah. I mean, I not even fat. He was just big. I mean, it's, it's me to call him fat when he's hitting, when he has a triple crown, he's not fat. He's just, you know, bigger. He's thick, thick with two, with two C's. C's. Yeah. Yeah. No, but that Miggy, you know, though that one too. Um, and then I thought that the judge like picture was just sick. I liked the judge one. Badass. Kind of nuts that Yasiel Puig was on a cover. <laughs> it shows nuts. you how fast shit changes, dude. Oh, I know. But the cover itself was sick. So let's get oh, yeah. into the top 10. So I got Joe Maurer, the 2010 at number 10, David Wright in 2007 at number nine, Ryan Howard at number eight, his 2008, that cover. And, and the, the, that cover itself isn't that great, but Ryan Howard was so good in 2007 and 2008. And then they won a championship in 2008. So I just kind of threw it on there. Yeah. Javier Baez in 2020. That one was sick. Miguel Cabrera in 2014, two years. In 2012, he had the Triple Crown, but that cover is great. Aaron Judge, top five in 2018. That cover is badass, and that's right after he hit 52 home runs, I think, in his rookie. Was it 52? How am I forgetting? 52. I think 52, right? Mm-hmm. Number four, Yasiel Puig in 2015. Shouldn't have been on a cover. Was, <laughs> and thank God that he was, because that picture of him with the back turned, he just looks phenomenal. And then the 2022 version right now, Shohei Otani should be at number three. Ken Griffey Jr. should be at number two with the 2017 cover. And then the greatest cover to an MLB The Show game, my favorite cover of a video game of all time is the 2021 version of MLB The Show with Fernando Tatis Jr. on the cover, just flipping the bat saying sayonara yeah. to a home run. You can't beat that. That's one of the best pictures. Whoever took that picture, I'm going to look it, it up. Oh, you know, you know what it reminds me of? Like they recently, somebody actually like wrote a profile on the guy who took the picture of, uh, and this is like the second time I think I've brought this up on the, on the, on the podcast. So I'm sorry about this, but um, it was in a different context before the mm-hmm. Wade uh, alley-oop to LeBron and Wade's like this and LeBron. Like, what a picture. It was, it was like luck and skill at the same time of getting that perfectly framed and oh, everything. Yeah. One of the greatest pictures in my opinion in sports history, Agreed. not even because of the heat, just because of how perfect everything Amazing. was. Yep. That picture with Tatis is like up there. It's just so perfect. The bat's not blocking him. It's right here above his shoulder. It's got the look. It's just so cool. And they made it a cover. Like imagine if they made that the cover of NBA 2K, that heat picture with those two guys, you know, like that, that was the right move. And that picture is going to be iconic forever. I love it. But I also just went back and looked at the, the Puig picture. That one's fire, dude. Fire. With the, with the Dodger fire. Stadium, you got you got the whole Dodger Stadium in the background. That one's pretty freaking sick, too. And I just I love the Fernando Tatis Jr. one as well because it's just the stone cold expression on his face, too. Just staring right back into his own dugout, being like, and it was almost kind of that that picture 
almost signified Fernando Tatis Jr.'s arrival onto the scene yeah. in a way. It yeah. just seemed kind of that legendary photo that just skyrocketed him. And it's funny, we were working on edits all the time for TikTok, Instagram, social, all this kind of stuff. And there are so many good pictures. I was even talking to my roommate, who's our, who's our main editor, Will Cohen. And I was like, I bet making TikToks about Fernando Tatis Jr. is so easy just because of all the highlights he has yeah. readily available on YouTube, but not only the pictures. Like he's one of the most well-photographed baseball players or sports figures I've ever seen. Yeah. No, you, you watch an ESPN game. Go game. search up images for Nano Tachi Jr. images. They're all fire. I, that's what I'm saying. Like the, the interesting thing is you're talking about marketing, marketing stars and stuff like that. And obviously baseball had a long way to go. I think they're doing a much better job. You watch an ESPN game. They've got a Tatis cam at all times. That's where the guy's on camera. My mom, my mom, like she knows baseball, but she, I mean, she doesn't keep up like dad. She knows of Tatis. I don't know if she knew like who it was when she saw him. She literally goes to me when we're watching the game one night uh, last season. Why do they keep showing that guy with the, with the, with the cool hair? And I was like, oh, that's Tatis. But like she even noticed they keep just showing him like an egregious he's amount. Swaggy as shit, mom. Yeah, I mean, look at sick. him. Look at his mane. He looks yeah. Fire. It's fire. You know, so I think they're getting there. They're doing a better job. And, and I'm glad Tatis is kind of, you know, leading the way and leading the charge on that. And hopefully Otani can do the same. You know, I mean, it's so cool to have him hitting and pitching on each side of the cover and all red like that. I thought they did a great job. Thought they did a great job. So again, congrats. Shohei Otani, cover athlete of 2022 MLB The Show. Couldn't have been happier. Perfect player to put on. Great looking art. Just a well done job by the people over there and I won't be the show. I cannot wait to play it and stream it live on Twitch at just baseball fans. By the way, we'll be doing Twitch streaming soon, but arm bounce back players. We have a list. This is the national league. And I hate doing this because we almost kind of reduce these players to stock, but we're analyzing and we're predicting. And there are some guys who were buying low on, we're selling high and we're obviously not going to be hundred percent correct on everything, but Sometimes I don't like to do this as much, but sometimes it is it is good because it's still a lot of fun seeing which guys are going to be bounce back candidates. So let's start with number one, Alec Bohm, the third baseman for the Philadelphia Phillies. Okay, so he had just a really bad 2021. He's grounding the ball into the dirt. What when you look at Alec Bohm's like stat cast data, when you look at his batted ball data, when you look at all of this stuff from watching Alec Bohm because you and I have actually watched a ton of Phillies games, not only because we watch Aaron Nola and we bet a lot on the Phillies just in general, whether it be over or unders, but we saw a lot of Alec Bohm and I want to talk about him. But first, what do you see? Yeah, man. Like I, I see a really unique case. Like he's a very unique player uh, and profile. And it, it, there's not a lot of guys that have the, that high end exit view. Uh, yeah. And then the, the low end power, uh, and then just a lot of just, just kind of contrasting metrics. But what I really still keeps me, you know, I would say positive on Bohm, aside from the fact that, you know, he had that fantastic 2020. I mean, the guy hits the ball so damn hard he and he goes the other way really well. I mean, even last year in those struggles, you'll get his home runs, you'll get his spray charts. He goes the other way with a lot of his home runs. He just got to, he has to get the ball in the air more. I still believe in Alec Bohm. Like I, do I think he's going to be a 330 hitter like he was in the abbreviated 2020 season? Probably not. But, I mean, this is a guy that still last year, dude, hit breaking balls well, hit off-speed well. It was just yeah. fastballs that gave him trouble. And, and I can't really get to the bottom of it other than 
He just saw a lot more elevated heat. And this is going to kind of be a theme across a lot of these guys, but saw a lot more elevated heat and seemed to just get beat a lot. I think if he makes the right approach adjustments, he should be okay, but he just hits the ball so hard and it goes the other way so well. I, I don't want to give up on this guy yet after, after one bad year. So I tried to figure it out a little bit. I want to, I want to, I want to throw this at you to see how it kind of, how it sticks. So if you look at like his zones, like where he's best hitting the ball, like you said, he hits the ball the opposite way a ton, right? But it almost seems like everything that gets in on him and everything with high velo, like you were saying, he just can't seem to hit. So everything that he should be pulling and hitting those home runs to left field because he does hit the ball so hard. It seems like he's just trying no matter where the pitch is to hit it the opposite way. If you go watch, like just look up Alec Bohm 2020 highlights on YouTube. Everything is the opposite way. Even inside pitches, he's grounding out to the second baseman. Maybe it finds a hole, but everything is over there. So he's hitting the ball hard, but he needs to get his hands extended. So anything in on the plate, he's not able to generate any power. So it's almost cutting off that side of the plate. Therefore, there... If he's not elevating the ball, if it's not a perfect pitch out on the plate, maybe it's a little bit up in the zone that he can get some lift on it and get it out. That's the only pitch that he can hit a home run on because he can't elevate anything on the inside part of the plate. No, I I think you're, you're spot on there. I think you're spot on. Like he, he, the scouting report was what really got to Boehm last year. Right. I mean, like he's hitting breaking balls. Like I said, he's hitting off speed. That's not a problem with that. No, that's not, that's not a problem for a guy that's getting beat inside. So I think the scouting report here is clear. I think it's, you know, hard and in on Alec Bohm, hard mm-hmm. and up. And, and he was just getting beat. Yeah, I think he gets a little bit long. And that was a problem for him. He has a strength, which is, you know, I can wait back. I can drive the ball to all fields. But that can't come at the expense of missing fastballs. Fastballs yeah. dominate the game, right? So he's going to have to find a way to make that work. He's shown that he did it. Like, at the end of the day, he was still hitting fastballs in 2020 it's just they were they weren't located predominantly inside i think with the right approach adjustment he can figure this out am i as confident in him as some of the other guys that we're going to say are going to bounce back not necessarily just because fastballs are you know it's concerning that you are really struggling against fastballs but given that he has the ability to hit he has the track record he did it in 2020 he still hit breaking balls and off speed in 2021 like just find that approach, that tweak in your approach. It's different for everybody that helps you hit fastballs middle in because you know, that's what they're going to be doing to you next year. Like, you know how they're attacking you. How are you going to adjust? I'm willing to bet that he'll make that adjustment. Um, and I hope he does because I mean, that would be great for the Phillies too, if he can bounce back a little bit, but yeah, Pete, I think you hit it, the nail on the head. And I think the whole league kind of figured that out last year and it, it was a struggle for him. Yeah, it was a struggle for him. And I, I agreed. I'm I'm still on the Alec Bohm train. This guy was taken third overall. He's one of the best hitters in college baseball, maybe the best hitter in college baseball that year that he came out. This is not a guy who I think is necessarily going, but there are some concerns. I mean, he does hit the ball into the ground yeah, that's, a lot, Arm, mm-hmm. like all the time. And why doesn't he hit right-handed pitching, bro? 576 OPS against righties versus 796 OPS against lefties. I can tell you why right now. Yeah, why? What do righties do better than lefties? Pound you in. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of reinforces the, the, uh, you know, I think your hypothesis there, right? It's like if lefties generally don't throw as hard, although, you know, you still have guys that now 
pump from the left side, but they're not going to go in on you as much. I mean, it's just the way it is. Right. And and that's why he hits lefties better. It's more change ups away. And, you know, they're not going to jam you in. If there's a lefty with a cutter or something, I guarantee you it's a miserable at bat for him, but you know, that that's what it is. It's running fastballs in on his hands and and that's going to be the struggle for him. Uh, I I think he can do it. Like you said, he has the track record. The exit velos are great. It's great. Right. Find a path that works for you a little bit. I think if he makes a slight adjustment there, he, he could be really, really darn good still. Um, I'm betting on a bone bounce back, uh, and hopefully he can heed some advice from Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins, and uh, JT Real Muto, and some of the mashers around him in Philly. So here's a guy who, I mean, just to say that he struggled with launch angle is an understatement, because but it was drastically low. Christian Yelich, man. I mean, he's still hitting the ball harder than most. He still doesn't chase. He still takes his walks. I mean, he's an above average defender, according to outs above average. But he couldn't hit lefties last year. He had a 611 OPS versus lefties and a 781 OPS versus righties. This is a guy who's dealt with back injury after back injury, and he has to get into his back hip. He's a guy who relies on athleticism when it comes to his swing. And he just didn't have that. The back is deteriorating. And I think the only thing, and this is why I hate doing this, when we're talking about injury concerns, because we don't really know the answer to this. But what we do know is that a healthy Christian Yelich is one of the best players in baseball. And a not healthy Christian Yelich is a hole in the lineup, I hate to say. Yeah, you know, it's tough because, you know, he's a guy that's playing a premium spot for a lineup that really needs his power, right? This is a, yeah. a Brewers lineup that, you know, if, if Christian Yelich was MVP Christian Yelich last year, they, they could have easily been the Braves, right? Like they could have no. been, they could have been that Braves team. And I generally don't believe in one player making that kind of difference. But when Christian Yelich was one in his MVP form and two, what the Brewers were doing last year uh, in terms of everything else they had going, that could have been the difference. And, you know, I know Yelich knows that and I'm sure it was killing him. What's interesting is you look at the exit velos and then the expected slugging and they yeah. go this way. And that's so rare, right? You rare. see, even for Bohm, who rolls over in everything like his expected slugging was still pretty high. You look at Yelich 94th percentile max exit velo, 80th percentile average exit velo, 30th percentile expected slugging. So, you know, that's telling you that yes, he's hitting the ball hard, but not as frequently as you'd like to see. And, he's not and his left. contact is, is, is terrible. And he's rolling over. He's rolling, yeah, he's over, rolling over. I saw his top percentage was massive. This year, just like topping balls, rolling things over, not getting the lift, not staying back. It's just not the typical Christian Yelich that we saw, which sucks because the typical Christian Yelich is, I swear, one of the best hitters, like one of the best left-handed hitters like I've seen those years, 2018, 2019. He was unfreaking believable arm. Absolutely, man. And and also, you know, don't forget it was a kneecap injury before yeah. that. Um, so you got kneecap. And we said we don't want to speculate on injuries. So on this side, he's playing through it, though. So we have to talk about it, right? Like, what are we seeing when he's playing? I'm seeing a guy that really is struggling to stay in that back hip, struggling to stay in his lower half. And maybe it would be different for some other guys. But he is a dude that uses that lower half so much and, you know, needs that mobility and that strength down there that if he's not really able to get into it, it makes sense that he's kind of, he was getting out of his base, rolling over, going to get the ball, just not staying back. He was a type of dude that would take it out of the catcher's glove and go oppo for a home run. You know, he, he just didn't look the same last year, but look, he's had a whole off season to get right. Uh, I'm hoping that, that that's all he needed. 
Um, and, and maybe he just needed that time off to, to get going. Cause we've had that uncertainty 2020, you know, we, we didn't know when the season was going to happen. He's recovering uh, a lot of different players had soft tissue injuries. We don't know exactly when the season's going to start, but at least we have a little bit more structure in terms of just the world in general. I'm yeah. hoping that he can just bounce back next year. I'm hoping he's been working on those things. At the end of the day, he's still a great athlete. He was still a top 20% in sprint speed yeah. type of runner. He doesn't chase at all. Like I, I, I'm, I'm going to bet he's too good. We got to bet on a bounce back for a 30 year old Christian Yelich. There is no shot. You're telling me to bet against Christian Yelich. I'm just never going to do it. He could have five more bad seasons. The next year, I'm always going to be like, well, I do think he could bounce back a little bit. And maybe even if the data doesn't support it and not saying that it doesn't here, I'm just saying in the future, if we see just dress, I'm just, you'd be like, you know what? Just give him a second, just give him another second. And maybe that's biased. Maybe it isn't. But I, I when I watch Christian Yelich, I still think generational type hitter at the plate. So the next one, Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola, Aaron Nola of the Philadelphia Phillies, the classic. He has a really good fit, but a really bad ERA. What was the problem here? What are we going to expect moving forward? But what we do know is that he was just objectively terrible on the road. Split Scott here reporting. He was terrible outside of Philadelphia, which is kind of interesting. Um, and really what blew him up, he had a really bad June and a really bad September. He still racks up the strikeouts. He still um, limits the walks. When you look at Aranola, you know, he's interesting. What do you think? Yeah, you know, this was one that Aranola to me, Look, I, I think he is so supremely talented. I think mean, no one's disputing that. I think we all agree he's he's got a ton of potential. When he's on, I mean, he's on. And we've seen it. Uh, but Aaron Nola is a very unique guy that I think there's some players that slip through the cracks of analytics. And I think Aaron Nola is that guy. And, and I'll explain why. Because he throws a ton of strikes. But he mm -hmm. didn't hit his spots last year. Where yeah. does that show up in the metrics, right? Like, where does that show up? If it's in the strike zone, it, it, it we don't we haven't gotten to a point, at least as far as I know, um, where you're like, oh, catcher was set up here and it was here. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that. Maybe that exists somewhere. I'm sure it does because we have everything in this world now. Uh, but I, I don't think that's incorporated into XFIP and FIP yep. and all of those things, right? That's one side of it. And if anyone disagrees that he was missing his spots, Aaron Nola will tell you himself he was missing his spots. So will JT Real Muto. So JT Real Muto literally said it. He yeah. literally and, said it. And Nola agreed, you know, I'm missing my spots. That's one side of it. The second but, thing. But it's also, it's not that he's missing his spots and throwing balls. No, he might miss where it's supposed to be an exactly. inside fastball, but he leaves it middle. And it's clear. Just go look at the heat map. When you look at the fastball, it's middle, yeah. Yeah. all middle. Yeah. Totally. Totally. He's missing middle with, he was missing middle with that fastball. And you know what? He was throwing it way more, like way more. He, he was not throwing way it more. nearly as much last year, went to the fastball way more. And he gave up a lot of home runs. I mean, that's what yeah. it was. 11 home runs on the fastball, 10 home runs on the curveball, And, Go ahead, because then I no. I'm just gonna say, like, to give up ten home runs on a curveball. Yeah, that's insane. You're hanging it. Yep. You're hanging the curveball. You're hanging the fastball. This was just a year where he was hanging pitches. So I don't want to hear the classic. Well, the the huge discrepancy between his FIP and his ERA. So that means he's still a great pitcher. 
He can still be a great pitcher and we can still project him to not hang pitches last year, but someone has to take accountability for the fact that he's still hanging pitches yeah. right in the middle of the zone arm. Well, and the crazy thing is, is the curveball is a great pitch. Like great it is, pitch. and that's what's confused. I think that's what's creating this disconnect yeah. because it is nasty. It is nasty, like high whiff rate, uh, expected batting average of a buck 88. But the problem is when he misses, it's like a underhand, like, here you go. Here's a yep. gift. And it's gone. So like kind of similar would, to Lucas Giolito's changeup, that high changeup, you know, it's like if it goes middle, it's a meatball. I mean, 47 hits off of the curveball, which isn't bad at all, given how much he threw it. But 10 of them I are bombs. Yeah. A quarter of them are bombs. So yeah, it's not good. Last thing on Nola. Um, that again, I think throws the FIP off a little bit is FIP is very dependent on home run to fly ball rate and home run, his home run to fly ball rate. Sorry. X FIP is dependent on home run to fly. Yeah, ball yeah, rate. Yeah. X FIP yeah, is yeah. dependent on, on home run to fly ball rate and his home run to fly ball rate actually dropped last year. So people are like, Oh, no. oh. wait, X FIP. Sorry. I, I, I keep getting in the way of your thought. Just being the idiot here. X FIP it, it's home run to fly ball rate. But I think, no, FIP is home run to fly ball yes. rate. XFIP is it's relating it to major league average. Yes. The home run to fly ball rate. There Excuse you go. me. There I just stepped go. all over your toes for literally no reason just to be wrong. So continue. To, just just to end up going <laughs> back to, be to where incorrect. we are. You're all good. It's, it's a little confusing. So to rehash that, FIP <laughs> is fielding independent pitching, and, and that's based on home run to fly ball rate. XFIP will take the league average of home run to fly ball rate and, and stack you up against the rest of the league on top of other things as well. But that's one of the main contributors here. And Aaron Nola's home run to fly ball rate, meaning the percentage of fly balls that left the yard as a home run dropped by 6%. So you would you know, conventionally think, oh, he got better in that department. Yeah, but he gave up 13% more fly balls, right? So if we're taking a sample size here, his, home run, his fly ball rate in 2020 was 27.5%. 2021, it was 40%. So- that is a lot more fly balls, right? And he was never a fly ball pitcher. Now, all of a sudden, he's given up a ton of fly balls. And even if a lower percentage of those fly balls are leaving the yard, it's still more in sheer volume, right? What is, what is 40% of 100 versus you know 27% of, of a much larger number? Like, it just doesn't work that way. So I'm looking at it from that perspective too, right? Like, yes a lower percentage of the fly balls are leaving the yard, but there's more fly balls. So there's yep. in turn more home runs. So like he became a different pitcher this year. And I think that kind of threw things out of whack and we we're comparing him to almost a totally different pitcher. Uh, yeah. And that kind of threw the metrics into a loop. And, and that's why these guys that throw metrics into a loop are so much fun to debate because you can really come from all sides of the, all sides of the plate on this one. I mean, also there are some positive things about Aaron Nola. I, Arm, I really like the use of his cutter this year, even though it was kind of minimal. I mean, he relied on it mostly against lefties, but I think it's a good pitch to work around with that fastball since it got crushed last year. I wonder if he starts throwing it into righties a little bit. The cutter actually performed pretty well, and it seems like it's a good change of pace from the fastball a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and that's a cool pitch off of the sinker. You know, you bury True. sinker, go the other way with a cutter. That's the thing about Noah is he's like a Swiss army knife. He's got four-seamer sinker, curveball, changeup, and a cutter that he started to show. So, like, I think he's – I think he can figure it out. I, I, I really too. think he got caught in between of, you know, what he was in 2020. I mean, to, to see your fly ball rate jump by 13% and your ground ball rate drop by 10%, 
I mean, Weird. that is a really unique change there. Um, and I think a lot of that was due to the uptick in using the fastball, but also just the general fastball command because the four-seamer had a 135 batting average in 2020. So, you know, I think he was trying to be a higher swing and miss guy. And so that's what people are pointing towards. Like, oh yeah, he got more swings and misses, you know, in, in a lot of different spots. Like he was pounding the zone more because he threw the fastball more, but yeah. he wasn't hitting the spots with the fastball. And I think you can kind of tell that he didn't have that much confidence in the fastball in 2020 because he was throwing it the third most. He threw his change up in his curveball more than the heater in 2020. That's not something a guy does that has supreme like confidence in his fastball. And I Agreed. think he wanted to try to establish the heater in 2021 and it just didn't work. It didn't work. And I think that's a big reason why we saw this chaos in the metrics. You can point towards the FIP, you can point towards those things, but when you have such just, I would say numbers that are just so much different than what we've seen in the past in terms of the batted ball metrics, it's kind of hard to cite those things. All that to say, I still think he's going to be better next year. Uh, I think he's going to learn from this. I, I, I like that he's got JT behind the dish to work with him. You know, Agreed. he's got, I think he's got a lot of good things going for him there. And again, the command overall, the control is good, which is important. The command, yes. I think, will get better. And I think he's still feeling out his arsenal. Clearly, there was some tinkering last year. And I think he's going to figure himself out next year. I think he's going to be better. I agree. I think what happened is he hung some pitches middle Yeah, last year. That's and just to simplify it down. I think he just hung pitches in the middle of the zone. And if he doesn't hang pitches in the middle of the zone, this could be, again, one of the better pitchers in major league baseball, but it's funny. Are we buying low? Because I think some, you know, very analytically driven minds, which we do appreciate would say he didn't even have a bad year. Yeah. Just because the ERA doesn't matter and all that kind of stuff, which is fine. You know, you like what you like, but I still don't think he had a good year. So I would say I'm buying low, but I'm not necessarily saying, Oh yeah, he actually had a great year and I'm buying high. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? It boils down to this for me. Like these advanced stats are, are indicators of, of what you can expect in the future, right? Like you could say he was, he performed better than his four, six, three ERA. And I'm totally okay with that. But at the end of the day, he had a four, six, three ERA because he gave up 93 earned runs in 180 and two thirds innings. And that's the reality. And what we're saying is he will be better than that next year. I think everybody agrees with us, but we're saying that beyond just what the analytics point towards. Cause I do think that it's a little bit more concerning than that. Like, I don't think it's a shoe in. He's got some things to work out, but I think he will. Um, I think it'd be crazy to say he won't be better next year. I would say we solved the Arnola situation, but I don't think anyone on earth can actually solve what happened to him last year, but no. we're, we're, we're expecting good things. We're expecting good things. Here's a guy who, I don't know if I'm expecting good things are moving forward, but maybe you can convince me. I don't know what side you're on. Dom Smith, New York Mets. He had one good month in July. Other than that, not too hot. Dom Smith did not have that great of a year. And offensively is where he's supposed to make his money because in the outfield at first base, he's just not a good defender. Probably needs to move over to the American League, play some DH because I don't know what position he should play. I guess you would say first base, but yeah, you'd say first base because you're not saying the outfield. Um, and, and this is another guy, Dom Smith, way better, weirdly against left-handed pitching yeah, than right-handed pitching. You would think that this might be a platoon guy, but he's actually better against lefties. 783 OPS versus 622 OPS against right-handed hitters, right-handed pitchers. Excuse me. What do you think about Dom Smith moving forward? Gosh, he's a tough one, man, because 
that whole Mets team was a disaster last year. No. Um, you know, and, and, you know, something that, that I've, we've read, I think there was, there was a nice piece out shoot. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on, on who wrote it. Uh, I'll definitely try to tweet it out later, but it was about how the Mets just got so lost in um, overanalyzing their at-bats. Like they, mm. they were really far down the rabbit hole of trying to almost predict the way they're going to get pitched to and just getting way too deep into it. And that's why, I mean, they have a new hitting coach. They have a whole new philosophy um, and they have a different approach to things. To me, Dom Smith just looked like a different hitter. He, he just didn't yeah. look like the same guy. Um, I'm really torn on him though, man, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's not like he has this, fantastic track record where he's just always, always matched. He's had good seasons, but at the end of the day, like he was a late bloomer really started to show it in 2019, 2020 abbreviated. It's been like a season and a half of him really showing that he can hit. If that, I think he's better obviously than he was last year, but I don't think Dom Smith is, is the guy that he looked like in 2020. I think he's, I think he's better than 2021, but I guess in a way I would say sell just because He's not going to make a big enough move. Like if I'm, if I have only a thousand dollars to spend on stock, I'm not buying Dom Smith, even though it'll improve incrementally, because I think there's better buys out there. If that makes sense, Dom Smith will be better than he was in 2021 or 2021, but I I don't think he's this impact regular. Uh, I, I just don't know if he's that guy. Agreed. Because I mean, I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying because I know he didn't play a ton in 2017, only 49 games in 2018. He only played 56 games and in 2019, he only played 89 games, but the OPS 2017, 2017 to 2019, 657, 675, 880. So he had a great year in 2019 and then he had a 993 OPS in a shortened season in 2020. But then we saw him drop right back down to 667 again. When I think Dom Smith, I think around between 880 and 667. I know that's a huge gap, but I'm thinking it's actually probably closer to the 667 OPS. I'm thinking, you know, 730 to 740 OPS guy. Like that's where I think Dom Smith is. I think he's a fine hitter, fine with no defensive position. And he's a reverse splits guy. Yeah, it's not great. And he doesn't, I don't know. I don't, he doesn't walk. I don't know where to put him. I don't know. I think he can be a fine hitter. Maybe if you just put him in a DH role, let him focus solely on hitting. Could he be an 800 OPS guy? But like even saying that, I don't know, man. It's tough, man, because like what he this was his 20- first year playing a full season. Like he's never played above 90 games before. And then in his first full in 145 games, he has a 667 OPS. And yes, you could point to the Mets dysfunction and say, oh, well, maybe it was just a down year, but not right. I mean, kind of. But well, you know, it kind of boils down to this, man. Like he had 130 good games and or 140 good games and 140 really bad games um, through the last three seasons. Uh, and again, I think this is a guy that is kind of in the middle of the two things we saw, but when you're not walking, uh, when you have the struggles against opposite handed pitchers and you don't have a defensive position, uh, this is a guy that I think, you know, could end up having some nice years, 28, 29, he gets thrown into a, you know, like the mediocre rebuilding team and sneaks in and hits 30 home runs for like the Orioles. You know, I could see him being that guy, uh, but I don't see him being a guy that has prom- a prominent role with the Mets at any point. He's going to be the dude that 
kind of just ends up with the D backs and hits 30 jacks. Like he's going to be one of those guys mm-hmm. that just kind of does clean up duty on a rebuilding team. Uh, that's kind of how I see it. And I just don't think any winning team is going to put this guy in the lineup every single day. And I don't think he's really going to get consistent ABs unless he goes to one of those rebuilding teams here and there. He'll stick around for a while. He's a phenomenal bench bat as a left-handed bat off the bench, but, and a great, you know, platoon type of guy, but how are you platooning a reverse splits dude? It's weird. Um, I'm going to sell on, on Dom. I'm, I'm not, I'm not really holding my breath on him. You tell me if this is projectable. He hit 362 against breaking balls in 2020 and at 343 against changeups. Is that projectable? Because in 2021, he hit 208 against breaking balls and 215 against changeups. He had a 990 OPS in 2020. He's never done that before in any other seasons. He was never a guy consistently hitting breaking balls, except, of course, 2019, where he hit 291. But in the previous years, everything was below 200. So that's just a matter of fact. He had a great year in 2020 hitting some sliders, hitting some curveballs. Maybe it hanged for him in a shortened season with not a lot of data. And then 2021, he just kind of got exposed because he's actually not that good at hitting breaking balls. So what best case scenario, Kyle Schwarber? I mean, not even like, not even like Kyle Schwarber hits nukes. Yeah. I don't think he doesn't have that power. I mean, look at the average exit velos. They're just not there. Not there. 65th percentile. Yeah. If he, if he had some kind of like crazy juice, you know, where it's like, okay, he just needs to connect a bit more. I'd be in on it, but he doesn't. Um, so I just think there's too many questions and I'm going to lean towards, towards no on him. Uh, does make, you know, a decent amount of contact, but he doesn't walk. So it, that's another big question. I, I'm, I'm going no on him. Here's another Mets guy that I do think is going to bounce back. Jeff McNeil. The only weird thing about Jeff McNeil is he had a kind of a rough season, you know, OPS near 700. Not, not great. Not something that we normally like to see from Jeff McNeil, but Jeff McNeil, I think he was actually maybe a person who felt the dysfunction of the Mets, maybe more than a guy like Dom Smith did. Um, Jeff McNeil is still a very good player who I think just had a down year in 2021, but it was also just another weird thing. He was terrible away from city field arm. Terrible. 557 OPS versus an 800 OPS at home, a 250 point drop in OPS, just hitting on the road when city field isn't a hitters park. Dude, you want to hear even crazier Homer in WRC plus 130 at home. 57 on the road. That's horrible. It's horrid. I, I couldn't even conjure up a guess as to why that's a thing. Um, I couldn't. So I, couldn't I won't either. even pretend I know what that is. But the, the fact of the matter is, I mean, he, he could swing it at home, right? I mean, like he was good at yeah. home. Uh, he finished a little bit better. He had a good July. Like I think people thought he was breaking out of it in July. When he absolutely mashed for a little bit, it, it just was one of those years where I think he he just got lost. I think in a lot of that dysfunction of the whole team. Uh, I I watched uh, when I went and covered one of the Mets games, and he was doing the press post game presser because he went yard uh, towards the end of the season, and they asked him, you know, like what, what do you think about this whole year, and and you know what do you think it says about you and everything, and uh, as a player, and he goes like I, I know I'm. I can be one of the better hitters, you know, in this game. Like I know I, I agree. have that ability and, and he really, you know, there's some people that just say it. You can tell when a guy's just saying it, like I could tell he believed it in that press conference when, when we were there, uh, he's just too good of a hitter. 
like back yeah. to ball wise, approach wise. Again, I think this is a guy that was just caught over analyzing things at the dish. And I, I'm, I'm buying a Jeff McNeil bounce back. Frankly, he would have been one of the guys going into the year that I would have said is like one of the safer bets to just give you 280, 350, 4, 440. Totally agreed. And when you even look at the OPS, like, and this is just to summarize it quickly, just to kind of simplify it a little bit. We have an 852 OPS in 2019. We have a 915 OPS in 2019, 837 in 2020, 679 in 2021. Yeah. Do we think that's going to happen again? I'm going to go on the side of no, it doesn't happen again. He's no. too good of a player. He's also, he makes up for it on other ends. Things like Dom Smith can't do is that Jeff McNeil is a very good defender. Jeff McNeil doesn't swing and miss that much. Jeff McNeil doesn't chase that much. The only problem is Jeff McNeil didn't really walk as much as he normally does. And he didn't hit for the same type of power. That's where we we might see Jeff McNeil trail off a little bit is the power department because generally he doesn't hit the ball that hard. I mean, he's seen the lower quadrant and average exit velocity. He's even lower in hard hit percentage. He's not a guy who's going to barrel you up and hit, hit you 20, 25, 30 home runs anymore. But I agree. The batting average should bounce back. He should go back to just taking some more pitches. I just think the power might, you know, I mean, he hit 23 home runs in 2019. I don't see that happening again, maybe 15 to 20 on the high end, but I think everything else will return and we'll still see anywhere from an 820 to an 840 OPS with above average defense and the Swiss army knife kind of appeal where he can play a bunch of different positions. That's very valuable on any team. I think Jeff McNeil by low, I think he's going to be great. Yeah. I think he's got that 15, 20 home run power. Uh, you know, I, I, and I think, but he's a guy that's going to hit the ball a lot. Like that's yeah. his game, spray it all over the field, a ton of contact, uh, you know, just a, a pretty good all around, just a ball player. And I, I expect that to continue. I, I really do. Um, you know, after him and Lindor saw the uh, raccoon in the clubhouse, I think there's a, there's a lot of, or, or just in the tunnel or whatever, allegedly, yeah, uh, there's obviously a lot of turmoil there. Um, I, he, he will figure it out and, and he's a really valuable piece for them. And, and the Mets know that. And you know, I'm expecting him to be, be a nice 120, 125 WRC plus guy next year and, you know, play all over the diamond. I, I think he's going to be a good, a good, you know, fit for them next year. I agree. We're both buying low next one, dude, Cody Bellinger. <laughs> Say what you want about batting average. He hit 165. Yeah. I know. Cody Bellinger hit 165 with a 542 OPS. The great thing about Cody Bellinger, you can't get any worse, can you? But this is also a guy who was dealing with injuries all year. And we could go through the batted ball data. We could tell you why we think he's going to bounce back. He's going to. Like he's he's, he has to bounce back. I think just to what level will he bounce back is, is a more important question for us. Not whether or not he's going to be better than 165, but where we think he's going to slot into, do we think he's going to be MVP Bellinger again? Or do we think maybe not? I lean between, I think he's going to be like an all-star caliber player. Like maybe not make an all-star team, but be a very solid above average regular not an MVP, but still a really good player. What's your take on Cody Bellinger? I think I think it's still in there. You know, I I, I lean towards what you're saying, but I, I definitely think it's still in there. And uh, agreed. I, we saw it in the postseason, and, and he's a guy when he gets hot. I mean, he gets hot. Uh, I I don't think either of us would be shocked, right? If he goes shows up next year and hits forty, 
you know, I really wouldn't be shocked at all if he hits 40. Um, the crazy thing is, I gotta is, be honest. I'd be shocked to be at 40. You'd be shocked. I, I wouldn't be shocked. 40. To be at 40. I'd be like, Whoa. Okay. Now he's all the way back. I okay, mean, so I'm a little bit more bullish then. That's good. Cause 10 I, home runs last year. I know. I know. And so we talk about like the struggle with, with speculating on injuries and stuff like that. The, the left or the right shoulder as a left-handed hitter, it's especially for him. Him, that's something yeah, that him, that's I think something. really yeah. impacted him and impacted his path and impacted his ability to really get that snap from where he wants to start his swing. Um, and obviously he had other injuries that he dealt with throughout the year that limited him. Still, there was a lot of approach differences. So you can you can talk about the injuries, and that's like that's why we say like we want to stay, you know, at least talking more about the baseball side of things. I feel like those some of that was holding him back, um, and then also maybe resulting in an impact in, in his approach. Because we saw the chase rate jump by 6% and 8% if you go back a year before that. Uh, We saw the swing percentage in general jump up. It was almost like he felt like he had to cheat, right? He just felt like he could not get that bat out there as quick. Um, And when you're trying to cheat, you got to make your decisions quicker. And when you got to make your decisions quicker, you're more likely to make the wrong decision. And that's exactly what we saw. Um, So that's one side of it. But what I'm really encouraged by is how good he got in the postseason. And here's a crazy stat for you, Pete. He won one. He hit 307 in the postseason, which is phenomenal. But he had more hits in 12 postseason games, which was 12 hits, than he did in the entire month of July. 11. Oh, no, Cody. 11. So, oh, no, Cody. The, the good news is, is July was before the playoffs, right? The playoffs are the most recent iteration we've got of Cody Ballinger. And there was one swing that is forever grained, ingrained in my mind, and it was the pitch that did him in all freaking year, the high fastball. And he had a horrible swing just before that swung under a heater and then adjusts and crushes a heater that was up three run bomb to tie the game in the postseason at Dodger stadium. That swing to me, one was, was, you know, showing the approach and showing that he's able to get there. I hope he's playing that swing over and his head over and over and over and over again, as he goes into this year, I'm I'm betting on a big time Cody Bellinger bounce back, and uh, I I understand your caution, and I I feel it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little bold here and say he gets back to like full fledged Cody Bellinger. He's 26. Yeah, he's no, an MVP and, and already, and he's 26. I agree. No, I think he could. I think he will bounce back. What I guess what I was saying by moderate all-star, not to the Cody Bellinger levels. What I was looking at, I was like, I think he's going to 280 with 30 bombs next year and play above average defense. Like that was what I was just kind of thought he was going to slide into. That's most likely. 47 bombs hitting like 330. Like I was like, dude, that's an insane year. But I think the stat that kind of tells the story, at least for me, I mean, not the full story, of course, but the fact that he hit 150 off fastballs last year. That is clearly he was not on time. He couldn't get to high velo. The shoulder was hurting. That's that's where it is because he's you look at good. every he's other year to have that problem. He's too good to not hit fastballs well. Yeah, In 2019, that crazy year, he hit 327. In the years preceding, it was around 260 to 270. That's I think he's probably going to hit between 260 to 280 off fastballs and be fine off everything else and just be still a very good hitter. I think that's the thing. He couldn't hit the fastball. He wasn't on time. He was injured. He couldn't catch up to high velo. And when you're seeing 60% of the same pitch that you can't touch, get domed up. 
You get domed up. All right. Moving on to another guy who, uh, Coors, Trevor Story. Oh, 880 OPS at home in nice Coors Field and a 717 OPS away from the launch pad. He chased more than usual. He just swung a lot, Arm. Like he just swung way more than he normally does. Even like his first pitch swinging, like these are up like six, seven percent. Yeah. Like he just take more pitches, Trevor Story. He'll be fine. Yeah, I, I almost wonder. I have like two things on this. Like, one yeah. was was he just contract year? Like, I need to ball out type I of pressing, so, or was he like, I don't want to play here, and I don't give a shit, and I'm just gonna take hacks or both. Oh, I don't. I know. think it was. I think it's the first one. Yeah. Um. And you know, I think you see players press in their contract year. Um. That was something that it seemed like Story was trying to do a lot uh, all the time. And, you know, I think he was in a lineup that was not great and he didn't see a ton to hit. And I think he felt the need to just just be aggressive. And, Agreed. well, you know, when you're swinging first pitch, that's telling me, like, I might not see anything to, to hit this at bat. Let me, like, pull the trigger now and if it's in the strike zone. Um, that's not – I mean, story Story's not really that guy. He's not like – he's never been a high contact guy, right? Like, he's always been a guy that's going to strike out in the – low 20s but he's never been this ridiculous free swinging guy that you know is out of control um so you know that was surprising to me i i really think that story's gonna go on a one-year prove it and prove it i, I agree because if someone gives him that one-year prove it i think he's gonna learn from last year and just play ball for a good team be reinvigorated. You can talk about what you want from the cores effect, but I think there's really an effect to also just hitting in cores where balls don't break as much. And then you go away where balls break way more and your, your approach is almost undermined. Like if you look at his, his run value um, against certain pitches, sliders did him the dirtiest. And, and it's interesting because he was fine against everything else. And he had never really had that kind of issue against sliders. Horizontal break is the is least impacted by cores. There's just so many little things that go into it when you're playing on the moon and then have to go play elsewhere. I just I just think he's he's too good. He's too good. And and DJ LeMahieu is a guy who circumvented those splits. Uh, Arenado he had a good year last year in the power department. I don't really think that was the issue. So I think Story's still Arenado's gonna just getting jacks. older. Yeah. Like I think everyone's like, oh, Coors effect, but it's like we've just been playing for a very long time. He might just you know, be on the latter part of his career, still hitting you 35 bombs. Maybe he's not hitting you 290, 300 like he was, but 260, 270. I mean, we'll take that with Nolan Arenado. And I, I just think the ultimate question, and I think, you know, executives, owners, managers, people around baseball, everyone's like, well, what is he outside of course? Like, is he a 900 OPS guy? Is he an 800 OPS guy? Is he somewhere in the middle? Is he worse? Because what we do know, I mean, Arm, we were front and center for the home run derby, watching Trevor Story take batting practice. Dude rakes. Like, not just, you know, has some power and, like, belongs in the home run derby. No, no, no. You watch him. He's one of the better power hitters in baseball. Like, this dude can hit the ball 500 feet. He has home runs registered at 500 feet. Yeah. 
Yeah, and not everybody just walk, waltzes into Coors and hits the ball 500 feet. No, I mean, it's kind of hard. Say what you want about Coors. Not like not that many guys just waltz in there and hit 500 foot bombs. Like it just Ooh, doesn't happen. Shit. He's fast as hell. He has a ton of power. He's rangy. He's excellent defensively. But that's another thing. Terrible defensive year from Trevor Story. Somewhere that's the craziest part to me. Yeah. Because I viewed him as one of the best defensive players in baseball. And yet we got a guy with outs above average in like the eighth percentile, something terrible like that. I mean, what's going on? I I really think there was this level of just burnt out there. I mean, he literally had the quote that was like, yeah, I don't even know what they're doing. Like, why am I, why am I still here? I think he was excited to potentially get dealt, go to a contender. And now you're stuck on the same freaking team. Uh, I really wonder how much of that mattered. I will say though, I think once all the trade speculation kind of slowed down and, you know, once things kind of got, to the point where he's like, oh, okay, I guess I'm staying in, I guess I'm staying here, you know, for the rest of this year. He performed well down the final two months, 134 WRC plus in August, 117 WRC plus in September. Um, much better down the stretch. Defense, a lot of times can be an effort thing. I, I don't know what the deal was there. Uh, I'd love to see how he bounces back in that department. Uh, but I think the numbers, he finished strong. He's just got a track record of hitting. And you talk about, you know, he's, he's not a guy that's hitting the ball 118 miles an hour, but the reason why his balls go so far is because he backspins. He gets easy carry. He's always been a guy that a large percentage of his fly balls leave the yard. That's going to translate outside of course. Uh, and it always, it already has in terms of the home run to fly ball rate in the past. I, I think this is a 30 home run guy. That's going to play decent defense at shortstop and hit 275 for you. Like that's a good, good player. And I still think he's that dude for sure. So what kind of contract would you give him? Yeah. Yeah. You know, honestly, man, I'd give him like a hobby deal. I'd give him a hobby bias deal. I really would. I, I, I know people Very. are saying one year, show me. I would give him a five-year deal and, and feel pretty okay about it. I really would. And maybe that's me that's rolling the dice a little bit, but you could be, you could get the opportunity here to get in on, you know, again, that this is the guys that, could have been the conversation top five shortstop in baseball if he didn't have such a down year last year. People were putting him at number one. Yeah, people were doing that. And he still finished with an 800 OPS. Like, yeah. this was a down year, three and a half win player with bad defense. He's still a top 10% runner uh, in terms of sprint speed. Oh, yeah, he's fast as shit. This is a guy that's going to figure it out, I think, and, and get back to where he needs to be. Um, I, I'm expecting him to, to be just fine, and I'd give him a five-year deal. I would. Maybe I know I'm in the minority on that one, but I would. I think I'm, I think I'm closer to you than uh, closer to not, I guess, if that makes sense. Like I'm, I'm more on the Trevor story train. I just, I really need to see him perform outside of Colorado. Like that's just the scary thing. That's why I'm all aboard the prove it deal train. But if he says, you know what, I'm worth more than that. I'm like, I'm not going to tell you or not. Blake Snell is next on our list arm. This is a story of two seasons. One pre all-star break. 499 ERA. He was leaving the fastball middle. Nobody was swinging at the curveball. And Blake Snell was throwing meatballs up there. He's getting rattled. He was getting crushed. But then post All Star break, we have a 3.24 ERA for Blake Snell, led by a phenomenal August. I mean, I, I remember I bet on a couple of his starts in August because I remember I watched one and I was like, whoa, that's a different pitcher. That's a different pitcher. And then it just showed. But the, the funny part about Blake Snell is if you look at just like his pitches, 
a, you can tell Giants, Dodgers, these teams, they're playing them really smart, right-handed dominant lineups. Just look at how many pitches he threw and how what percentage of them were to right-handed hitters. I think it looks like 85-15. He just didn't face lefties all year. And it was, or no, excuse me. Yeah, no, what am I saying? They threw, yeah, they threw a bunch of right-handed dominant lineups because they didn't want him facing the left-handers. I got all bamboozled, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, they're trying to stack against him because what's his best pitch? His slider. Yeah. You know, so and, and that was a pitch that when he started to do well, he threw way more. Um, and that was a big reason for his turnaround. Um, you know, that that slider is is unhittable to, to lefties. It, it really is. And I think it got better uh and better as the season went on. It's a pitch that he can back leg righties with. Uh, but the fastball command was really important. I mean, you look overall, the, the numbers were great. What people were doing, though, is they were just spitting on it a bit more. Like, people weren't chasing yeah. his pitches as much. Um, they were trying to make him come into the zone with the fastball because he's somebody that's going to throw a ton of sliders and curveballs. And I think people were just hunting fastballs and daring him to locate the sliders and curveballs. And he wasn't locating them as much. As he got better with that, I mean, it, he got better and better as the year went on. But, I mean, you look overall on, on a whole body of work, walk rate was up. Um, you know, the command just wasn't there uh, for a lot of the year. And I think he was able to kind of figure it out and say, okay, I'm commanding the slider. It's easier to throw a slider for a strike, a cold strike than a curveball. And guys were just not pulling the trigger as much on him. So he went to the slider more because he can locate that for a strike more, even against righties. And that's exactly what he did. And I think he figured it out to a degree. I think he's going to be closer to second half Blake Snell. Look, I don't think he's going to be Cy Young Blake Snell, uh, but he's definitely a hell of a lot better than we saw him in the first half. He's going to be more closer to that second half guy that we saw. I think mid three ZRA with a ton of strikeouts and he'll give you that occasional just absolute gem uh, when he's really on. And another one is pitching. We talked about the slider. We talked about the changeup. talked about the fastball, the changeup. He throws it primarily to right-handed hitters. He hasn't thrown it to a lefty since 2017. He threw it <laughs> twice to a lefty. So that's that's one thing. It's primarily used against right-handed pitchers. I mean, arm they hit 429 off the pitch. I mean, he only threw it 10 of the time, so we don't have a ton of data there. But in other years, it's been one of his better pitches. But this year, it got creamed. And maybe you have an answer for me because I tried to go through why, and I don't know why. I simply don't know why. Like, for example, in 2020, he threw it 20% of the time. It was one of his most used pitches. Threw it 20% of the time in 2019. But then he only threw it 10% of the time, and it got schwacked. I don't know why. Yeah, I I wonder if he just really lost a feel for it. Um, Yeah, but that just sucks moving forward. That's why I wanted to ask the question. Because that changeup has been a valuable part of his four-pitch arsenal. If he's just slatter and curveball, and he can't locate those, He's actually screwed because the fastball is hittable. If he doesn't have that fourth pitch, I'm actually nervous about Blake's down. That's why I brought it up. And when I was looking through it, I couldn't figure out why it was so hittable. It's not that it's so middle. No, I, she just wasn't feeling it. I, I don't know. It, it's, it's interesting because, you know, that, that, that was a pitch that was important for him and it helped the fastball play up. And, and that was definitely yeah. an issue. Um, 
I think he's going to find more of a feel for that pitch. He's had it so, so much in the past. And I think that was part of his success too down the stretch as he started to feel it a little bit more. I still believe in Blake Snell, the track records there. And, you know, if he didn't show signs of life at the end of the season, I'd be concerned, but he showed, he showed signs of life um, and, and, you know, leaned on the slider more, even if the changeup doesn't quite work, the curveball could could end up being that third speed and a more vertical breaking pitch for, uh, you know, opposite handed hitters uh, to give them another look. I- I'm going to lean towards Snell bouncing back next year. Agreed. No, I think Blake Snell is going to bounce back. I-, I just had that question about the changeup because I, I frankly simply don't know, but I do think he's going to bounce back. I do think he's going to be good. I- I'm guessing that pitch will rebound and he'll be totally fine. Maybe he uses it more. Maybe that actually makes it a better pitch. Maybe the lack of usage made it worse. I don't, I don't know, but here's the last person. Here's the last pitcher. You Darvish <laughs> tale of two stories, huh? Six, one, six ERA post all-star break versus a 3.09 ERA pre all-star break. And he was also really bad away from San Diego. We know what happened. They cracked down on something. Yeah. Do you attribute you Darvish's success to sticky stuff? Or do you think it was just a bad second half? Maybe he didn't adjust well afterwards, but we think he's going to be totally good next year because I think there's some, some concerning things within you Darvish's arsenal, but you Darvish's arsenal is pretty electric when on. It's just the problem when it's not. Yeah. You know, I, my, my answer is kind of option C, which is I think the stuff is legit. I don't think he had the ability to adapt during the season when they cracked down on it mid-year. Um, I think he was overly dependent on it. And I, I just don't think he had the ability to adjust as the year went on uh this guy just has too many ways to come at you he's got like 13 pitches Uh, to me again another guy that i think needs to go back to the drawing board and say okay why now that they crack down on the sticky stuff which pitches are not playing as well uh and which do i need to go to more often how do i need to adjust my arsenal i think his arsenal is not going to play the same but i mean this guy's you know he was he's good for a reason. Uh, And he's been a dude for a while for a reason. I don't think he's ever going to be the U Darvish that he was. I think naturally age is becoming a factor too. Uh, He's 35. He's had surgeries, but I mean, he was so bad, dude. And like the cutter, like that's a pitch he needs to just eliminate, like get, get that that shit the hell out of there, dude. That pitch sucks. Like not destroyed last year, but that's almost good news, right? Like, yeah, Yeah. congrats. You don't throw the cutter and now you just eliminated 11 home runs. Like every other offering was good. (laughs) Every other offering 650 OPS against a four seamer, 500 OPS against a two seamer, 556 against a slider, 326 against the curveball, 660 against the splitter. I just think he's got to stop throwing the damn cutter. It might just be that simple. Um, and I think the cutter was the pitch that was most affected because a cutter, you're not really doing that much with your arm action. It's grip and you just let it, you literally let it rip. And, and I think that was just the, the change for him. It's just, I think it really changed things. I also have a question about the cutter. Was he just, was, was you Darvish's cutter one of the unluckiest pitches in baseball? There was a hundred 
And 60 point difference in slugging versus expected slugging. Oh. 624 slugging. Yeah. Versus 469 expected. That is incredibly drastic. That is incredible. That's that's one of the more drastic splits I've seen on a singular pitch when we go through baseball's avant every day. Like I don't you don't see that that often. No. I'm wondering, was it a couple wall scrapers? Was it a couple just balls that found gaps weirdly? I don't know. I don't know how to explain that. But I think that only, you know, only helps his case, right? I mean, like a little bit of bad luck, a little bit of like stop throwing that pitch so much. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying cut it out. But that's he's throwing that more than any any other pitch almost for like for the most part. Like I I don't know. I just I I would say tone it down a little bit. And it, isn't it? It's ironic for Otani. It's the same thing. That's Otani's worst pitch, and he throws it a lot. Uh, just throw again. Throw the pitches that aren't good less. Sometimes it's that simple. It really is that simple. Um, I think he's going to bounce back. Uh, never to the form that he once was but not what he was when he was bad last year. Arsenal tweak, um, adjusting to the lack of sticky stuff. I saw that. You saw the video of him throwing sorcery uh, oh, recently. Like he, he's still got it. was disgusting. He'll be fine. He'll be, just He'll be fine. fine. I just, I just wish that he'd throw four pitches instead of nine. And like, he doesn't need to throw all of these different pitches all the time, but that's the mystery of you, Darvish. And I agree. I, I would say you're buying. We think that he's going like, give me, give me what you think his ERA will be next year. It was four, two, two in 2021. I think, I think he's going to be mid threes guy too. I agree. That's mid exactly. With I, was a lot like, of K's. I, think, I was just about to say, I think he finishes with a three, six ERA with a ton of K's and like some, K's. some big performances like this, him and Snell, Great. like the, 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 they might have some blow up starts, but they're going to have some, but it's funny. I, I'd prefer Snell over Darvish. Would you oh, rather sure. have Darvish for over sure. Snell? You'd rather have Snell over Darvish? Yeah. Snell over Darvish at this point. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, Darvish could still be a fantastic, fantastic could rotation be. piece for you. Hopefully. So that's it. Get your Just Baseball merch, people. It's in the episode link in the description of this podcast. Get your Just Baseball merch. Get your T-shirts. Get your hats. Get your hoodies. It's cold outside. It's still snowing in New York City. You got to get yourself a hoodie. Go check out Arms Podcast, The Call-Up, um, where he's talking to MLB prospects, all that kind of jazz. And then I'm, I'm starting a podcast soon, people. Not gambling advice. We're going to be doing fantasy baseball stuff. We're going to be doing gambling content. And that's going to be co-hosted with my good friend, Colby Olson, who's come on this podcast a bunch to talk analytics. He's going to give me the numbers. I'm going to give you the angry, caffeinated person yelling, but giving winners. But dude, I had a terrible Sunday. Yeah, it was a bad start. And my Rams won. You finished strong though. No. OBJ over. OBJ, why do they keep putting the OBJ line so low? It's weird. Because they have no idea. They have no idea. They they don't know what we're seeing. OBJ, yeah. him university. Him That's what university. I'm seeing. I'm seeing the best he's looked since the since the one-headed catch with New York. Seriously. Um, but Jimmy G, I had under 231 and a half passing yards. Guess how many passing yards he finished with? 232. 232. He was at 235. <laughs> he was at 235. Last play of the game, three-yard loss of a pass. Oh, my gosh. That would have been an insane hit. That would have been an insane hit. 
Oh my gosh. That's oh. loud. Well, looking forward to hearing you talk about those bad beats on, on the new podcast, but uh, that's going to be fun. Be a lot of fun. You have anything, anything to uh, close this out before we go? Kyle Nicholas, uh, pitching prospect with the Pirates, just traded over in that Jacob Stallings deal. Really exciting. I really like him. Big time arm. He is on the call up tomorrow. So definitely check that out. Go check out his stuff, people. And that's all we got for you. Thank you, everybody.